All right. We uh, continue in our series this morning. Um, let's see if this will work. Hey, it works. This is war. We've been talking for a long time about prayer and about spiritual warfare. We've been talking about how to take territory back from the enemy, and prayer is the most, one of the most effective ways to do that, but we have to be prepared. We've been digging into Ephesians chapter 6. You can turn there if you like, Ephesians chapter 6. And we've been there for a couple of weeks, and we are going to be there yet for a few more weeks. Ephesians chapter 6. Um, the other day I was thinking, though, um, how many different pairs of shoes I really have. Um, do you know how many pairs of shoes that you have? You probably don't if you had to, to count. I recently looked down in my, uh, some of you thought I was just bringing my laundry with me this morning, um, but I looked in my basement and I was shocked at the number of shoes that I have downstairs. And they all serve different purposes, our shoes. Right? Every pair of shoes that we have should serve a different purpose or has different purposes. So I just want to talk a little bit about what I found here in my, in my basement. Nothing earth-shattering here, although there might be one thing you might get a little kick out of. Um, these are my tennis shoes. Obviously, I used to work out in or run in or, or whatever. Most people have a pair of tennis shoes there. I have a pair of boots that I use to work, and that has a totally different set of meanings or different reasons for me to wear that. We all own, or most of us own a pair of these things, right? 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 Hey, uh, Craig, my friend down here likes these things right down here. They flip-flops. So um, some of you don't like flip-flops. My dad can't stand them. He's never been able to wear them. But uh, these are just for lounging around. These here are my golf shoes, okay? They have spikes, so they're used specifically for whenever I go out on the golf course. And I have one more pair of shoes. Um, by the way, here's my phone. It's still cracked, and just in case some of you wanted to know that. Um, and I have these. These are some of my favorite pairs of shoes in the wintertime. Now, you're going to laugh at me, and I don't wear these outside of my home, but I have my Buckeye slippers here, okay? All right, so, boy, so you have those too, I guess? No, all right. Um, yeah, my ankles get really cold, so, I mean, now you have a vision of your pastor wearing the Buckeye slipper shoes, okay? I don't know if I've ruined any kind of image of, of you that you might have. Um, I have, I don't have, uh, there's one more pair of shoes I want to show you, um, and it's kind of a little funny, but um, these, these are not my shoes, but it's interesting what these are used for. They're used for nothing other than to look at. These are Parker's shoes. They are limited edition, one-of-a-kind, Kevin Durant, Oklahoma City Thunder basketball shoes that he bought, how long ago we get those? Three or four years ago, roughly? And um, what are you supposed to do with shoes? Wear them and use them, right? Um, these look just like the day that we bought them, and the amount of money that we spent on this would make just most of us sick, okay? But he has not worn these maybe more than one time. And the rest of the time, he just puts them up just to be admired. They are not to be touched. They are not to be abused. So um, it's, it's amazing the number of shoes that we have that we, that we maybe we don't wear, but, but I had to show you these in case... Um, for the right price, we will let these shoes go in case somebody here is interested in the right kind of shoe, all right? Um, I asked Stephanie and Jenna today 
We'll just leave those right there for an illustration. I asked Stephanie and Jenna today, how many pairs of shoes do you think you have in your closet? And they refused to uh, recuse themselves. They refused to answer that question. Um, but if, if I had to show you all the shoes that they have, it would take a couple Sundays just to kind of get through all the shoes. Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. Do you know that our focus passage, the book of Ephesians chapter 6, tells us what kind of shoes we are to wear? Do you realize that? Tells us the kind of shoes that we are to wear. And that's where we want to pick up this morning, Ephesians chapter 6. It won't be, this one won't, this passage won't be on your screen. But Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the kind of shoes that you and I are supposed to wear. Let's pick up with verse 13. Should be a familiar passage by this time. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. You may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. We've talked about the belt of truth. That was our first piece of armor. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That was the last piece that we talked about. And verse 15 says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let me read that again. I'm not sure how your translations read, but my New King James says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What exactly does it mean to shod something? That's not a word that we use in today's vernacular. We don't use the word Shod. I don't know uh, how many of you know what that means, but shod means to wear or to put on shoes. That is what the word shod means. And it tells us here that we are to shod or wear or put on shoes of our feet and then prepare them with the gospel of peace. Well, the gospel is the word that stands for good news. So there is good news in today's message. And what is the good news? So basically, Paul was telling us here that in this life, if you and I want to prepare ourselves for everything that the enemy throws our way, especially those of you who have taken our prayer challenge seriously, you had better begin to put on these pieces of armor, the whole armor of God, not pieces, but the whole thing. That we need to prepare ourselves by putting on the shoes that God has for us. The shoes that tell the good news. And what is the good news that it tells us that we ought to be putting on? Peace. The good news of peace. So I believe it is safe to assume that because shoes take us everywhere that we need to go, we should be people who always have peace in our hearts, right? Let me say that again. You're just tuning me out here. Let me get the shoe illustrations back out here. Everywhere we go, everywhere that we walk, it's safe to assume that we should have the peace of God in our hearts. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, no matter what state that we are in, we should have peace that permeates our being. Peace. It's rather hard to come by nowadays, isn't it? Paris, 140. Belgium, 32. And Turkey, 40. Those are the places and the numbers of the people that have been killed recently by the radical Islamists. 
uh, Islamic extremist. There is a lack of peace all around our world, even as we speak. There is a lack of peace on the individual level. Approximately 42,700 people will commit suicide this year alone. That's 117 people today will take God's most, one of God's most precious gifts, their life. And all of them will do so because there is a lack of peace within their heart. There's a song that the Isaacs, if you like bluegrass music, Isaacs are a great group. There's a song that they sing, and the words go like this. I heard about these kids that were walking on a train track, 40 tons of steel bearing down on them, and they just turned their backs. Channel 5 asked the one who survived, Son, why did you do such a thing? No reply, but his eyes just cried. Peace. I just need some peace. If I have to, I'll do anything. I don't need your love. I don't need your sympathy. But I cannot go on living without peace. I know a man who sits and stares at a kitchen cabinet door. He hides a whiskey bottle that he hasn't touched since, well, this is day number four. He told his wife this time he would try. She just about had to leave, but no reply. Her eyes just cried, saying, peace. I just need some peace. If I have to, I'll do anything. Don't need your love. I don't want your sympathy. But I cannot go on living without peace. I have a friend who's looking for God in a few good self-help books is as far as she's gotten. So say a prayer tonight for that desperate child. Say a prayer tonight for that man and his wife. Say a prayer for the hurting, searching for the one thing that we all need. And if you don't know what to say, look up to heaven's face and pray for peace. I just need some peace. If I have to, I'll do anything. Don't need your love. Don't need your sympathy. But I cannot go on living without peace. We need peace, don't we, church? Jesus knows this. Jesus knew this. Simple story that we have all heard throughout our life. If you've been in church at all, uh, you don't have to turn there. But in Mark chapter 4, we read this account. Jesus is with his disciples. and It says, on the same day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Do you realize, I may have mentioned this a long time ago, do you notice that he didn't, he didn't speak to the disciples? Who did he speak to? He spoke to the sea. Are you kidding me? 
He is able to speak to the elements, the different uh, forces of nature. He's able to speak to the waters and the waves. Perhaps they were 8, 10, 12, 15 foot waves in front of him. And he was able to speak to the water, the molecules and everything, the water molecules and everything that makes up water and the H2O. And he was able to control all of that and say enough. Peace, be still. Do you not think that that kind of God can bring peace to your life. Peace. Jesus knows how desperately you and I need peace. So too does Satan. Satan knows that you and I need peace. Which is why, which is why he is always trying to steal, kill, and destroy And at the top or near the top of his list is that word peace. He's trying to take your peace. He's trying to take my peace. Trust me, he will intentionally try to stir up discord, division, disruption, disturbance within you and around you. He is the ruler of chaos and confusion, using every opportunity to upset your sense of well-being and stability. He wants you and me to live uneasy, unbalanced, anxiety, worry-filled lives. And he wants to take away our peace. Think about it. Any place in the world and in your life where there is unrest, you can be sure that Satan is behind it. It's his chief goal to keep mankind from coming to Jesus Christ. That's it. That's his bottom line. Whatever I have to do to keep people from turning to Jesus Christ, he will do it. And if he can keep that from happening, the greater chance he has at success. So he stirs up as much turmoil, as much unrest in our lives and in the world as he possibly can. How does he do these things? Several ways. Perhaps undealt with sins of the past and a past that can wreak havoc in our lives. Even if there are things in your life that you know God has forgiven, things that you know are under the blood that are cleansed and forgiven, don't think for a moment that Satan won't try and bring those things up from your past and defeat you and rob you of peace. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of some injustice or some abuse. The enemy will ride the coattails of those wrongdoings to keep the pot inside stirring. What may start out as a low simmer can turn into a burning opportunity for unforgiveness, for resentment, for bitterness. And before you know it, you can turn into a person who's on edge, who's defensive, who's irritable, unable to foster authentic relationships to where you have no peace inside. Maybe you've recently received some bad news and you're having a hard time dealing with it all and there's no peace. You know, if I'm talking to you right now, if you're one that you don't have peace, All of these things and more can cause a lack of peace and that creates stress. And stress can do more to the body and the mind than what we can ever realize. Some of you have experienced that. 
can actually cause physical sickness, emotional instability. It can cause spiritual burnout. Anxiety disorders affect nearly 40 million Americans. 28% of Americans will suffer anxiety in their lifetime. It's the highest level in the world, our country, the United States of America. Three out of the top ten selling drugs are for mental disorders. Three out of the top ten selling drugs. 42 billion, that's with a B, 42 billion dollars are spent on anxiety disorders. 28, 22.8 billion dollars is spent on anxiety that goes towards addressing anxiety symptoms that mimic physical illnesses. I believe I'm probably talking to some people who have experienced that. Women, you have a tendency to worry. Not all of you. Some of you do. 12.7 million women suffer from some kind of phobia. Something to worry about. Just just describe some of you today. How can we combat this? The Apostle Paul contends that our ability to deal with stress, our ability to have peace in our life, all depends on the kind of shoes that we wear. The kind of shoes that we shod on our feet. The main purpose of our shoes is to provide protection. But can you imagine how your feet would feel? Just think about this for a second. Right now, if I asked all of you to take your shoes and your socks off. No, never mind. Don't worry about that. Um, But if you did that, if you went the entire day, everywhere you went, from here on out, with no shoes or socks, how do you think that your feet would feel at the end of the day? Probably be sore. They'd be tired. They'd be stinky, more than they are now. They would have blisters on them. You'd be angry. You'd be irritable not wanting to talk to people, be on edge. All of that sounds like someone living without peace. And all along, Jesus is standing up in the midst of our boat, saying, peace, be still. So I ask you this morning, what's in your life that's causing you unrest? What's going on in your life that's causing you not to eat? It's causing you not to sleep. Let me remind you folks, the title of this series, This is War. Satan has declared war on us, so we had better be prepared when the onslaught comes, when the fiery darts come. This is why Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God, not just bits and pieces. There are two kinds of peace that I want to talk to you about. I'm only going to be able to cover one today. I'm going to cover, I believe this is so important in our life. And, and uh, some of this I've experienced, you know, in new ways recently in my life. So I think it's so important. I'm going to cover the second one next week. But we have peace with God. There is the peace with God. That's one form of peace. And then the other kind of peace is there is the peace of God. There's a difference, you know. There is a difference. We're going to cover the peace with God this morning. 
If one ever wants to have the peace of God in their life, they must first start out with the peace, with peace with God. What do I mean by that? See, so many people who don't have peace with God, they try to reverse that order. When they're in a jam or when they need help, when they're lacking peace, they want God to come and save them. They'll desire the peace of God before they have experienced the peace with God. But it doesn't work like that, church. One needs to first get right with God. One needs to first get right with God. It's kind of like this. I, I didn't have the anything at home, so I asked my friend Dave Sweat to provide me something. I have a magnet here. Um, most, most people have a magnet. You know what they do. You know what they are. I'm just going to put this right here and see if this will, will work. It'll work like that. Whenever our relationship with God is where it needs to be, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a magnet. When Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the, uh, of the day in the garden, it tells us that they were united. They were one with the Lord. They had a tight relationship. They were one. They had a peace and a contentment that the world has never known. Only in heaven will we get to experience that kind of union, I believe, to where there's just no sin, there's no influences, anything like that, like that around. But they experienced that. But when they sinned, they separated themselves from God, thus setting a course by which every human being would be born into this world. You see, Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Born into sin, we've all started out lost. When one is lost, there is no hope. And when there is no hope, there is no peace. So whenever we are born, we immediately start out separated from God. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Look at that word turned. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have all purposely gone from this to this. And you know that whenever you turn uh, magnets opposite of each other and you try and force them together, there's going to be friction. There's going to be opposition there. It's not going to happen. And the harder you try and push, the worse that it gets. The, 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 the greater the force is that pushes that away. That's what happens when we turn away from God. So what do most people do? They'll spend their lifetime turning away from God, yet trying to find their way, trying to find their own happiness, trying to find their own peace to no avail. And every time they do that, they're just pushing themselves farther and farther away from God. The more we push against God, the more strife that we have, the more unrest that we have, the more anxiety that we have, the more stress and, and strife one experiences. 
leaving a huge void in our lives. There is no real peace in our life. And people want to know why they're so uneasy in life. I've heard stories of Hollywood movie stars have all the fame, all the money, all the houses, all the cars. They have everything that they could ever want. So why is it that some of them get involved with like world hunger type things? Things to take away hunger or things to uh, uh, help those around the world I've heard some of them say, because I'm unfulfilled in life. There's something that I'm looking for. I want to give more. I've I've received so much. I want to... There's no peace inside. There's no peace inside. God knows this. And God, from the foundation of the world, knew this. He had a plan. You see, God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. God so loved the world that He set in motion a plan of redemption, praise the Lord, a plan of reconciliation, a plan to unite us back together with Himself. In a move both astonishing and wonderful, God wrapped Himself in human flesh and humbly entered the world as an infant over 2,000 years ago. You see, God knew the only way to destroy the sin in our life and offer peace was to let our disease, our sin disease, infect Him. Not just affect Him, but infect Him. So He died the death that you and I were already dying. To give us in life the one thing that we could not have on our own. He came to the center of our dark and broken existence and gave us I believe I talked about this last week. Isaiah 9, 6, it's like our Christmas verse. But for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Say it with me, Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Stephanie and I were talking about this verse yesterday when we were having some devotions and I said, what is that saying to you? She says, well, if you're a prince of something, that means you're a ruler over something. You're able to command various things. You're able to make certain things happen in your kingdom. And in this case, our king, our prince, our savior is able to bring peace into your life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I also like Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Jesus died so that you and I could have peace. Listen, this is kind of how it works regarding my quirky little magnet illustration. Maybe some of you will it'll catch on with some of you. But John 6.44, you don't have to turn there, but John 6.44 kind of makes this uh, illustration known. As, uh, Jesus said, Jesus, red letters, said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
What does that mean? So as we are born in this life, we're separated from God. And then as we live this life, we make choices, our free will choices to go away from God. And our entire life, we wonder, why don't we have peace? Why is there so much unrest? I'm trying to find peace. I'm trying to find happiness. I can't seem to find it. And then we begin to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Then we hear about how he came and died for us. Then we begin to understand that it's for our sins that he died. And all of a sudden, our hearts, which are turned away from God, all of a sudden, see what it says, begins to draw us. All of a sudden, God is drawing us to himself. He's drawn us to the heart of the Father. He's drawn us until one day we fully turn to him. And salvation comes. And now we are united with Jesus Christ. We are drawn to the Father and we accept Christ. And now we have peace. Peace. Wonderful peace. We pray that those who don't know Jesus will be drawn. Like a magnet, when the other side of the magnet turns, and as it begins to turn, all of a sudden it begins to be pulled, and it begins to be drawn to the heart of Jesus, to where they've got to have him, no matter what it tells us. Matthew tells us um, that as someone finds a treasure in a field, they will go and sell all that they have in order to buy that field just to have that treasure. Whatever it takes. You want Jesus. God's side of the magnet is always drawing. He's always pulling mankind toward Himself. Desiring desiring to bring mankind back to Himself. Anytime there is reconciliation, church, there is peace. I would imagine most everyone in here has experienced some form of lack of peace or some form of, um, of uh, disagreement or division, whether it be in a relationship or whether it be in the family. This happens to our family at different times. We're, we're uh, no different than anyone else. And whenever something happens or someone says something or does something that's not right, it, it, it breaks the union of peace and unity within the home. And there's just an uneasy spirit in the home. There's just a spirit of, you know what I'm talking about. Until somebody turns. And we begin a conversation and we say, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And we say the words that we need to say and we give the hugs that we need to give and all of a sudden... That relationship is restored and there is peace once again in the home. See, folks, that's the way it works between us and God. There might be some of you here who you've been living with that in that state of division, disunity for a long time. You've not felt that peace maybe in your home. You've not felt that peace in a relationship that you've been wanting to find for a long time. You need God to restore that relationship. Oh, I love this. Today, this part of peace. Do you have the peace with God? With God. Where is your heart with Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior? Look, I understand looking across here uh, the, the room, and I know I'm talking to a lot of people that have probably have had that experience, but I never want to take that chance. 
There might be one person, there might be two, three, who have never truly had peace with God. Peace with God. Whenever there's reconciliation, there's peace. I love these two verses. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. When you accept Christ, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our, say it, he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the wall, the middle wall of separation. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that it says we have peace with God, and that comes through Jesus Christ. While mankind may be able to find degrees of happiness in their pursuits of this life, they'll never find true peace, true joy until they experience peace with God. People all over the world, this is not just an American thing. It's not just a Sugar Creek thing. It's not just a Bars Mill thing. People all over the world, if you have a pulse, you need peace. And people all over the world are looking for peace with God. I'm going to show you a video at this time. It's about a six and a half minute video, and then we'll close. The other day I was uh, looking through some things with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Society, Evangelistic Ministry, And this video, I believe, beautifully portrays what I'm trying to get across today. Their ministry is over in the land of Japan. And it talks to different individuals who talk about their life before and after God. Let's watch. I'm in Japan's fourth largest city, Sapporo. In the northern part of Japan, we have been called by the churches to come and help them to evangelize this city. There's a sense of just kind of hopelessness for for the future, um, not just their job or their their present life, but also just a, a big question mark of what happens afterwards. It's shown just by their faces. The venue that we'll be preaching is on the site of an old graveyard. And I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, the Bible says we're spiritually dead outside of Christ. The average church here is pretty small, about 12 to 15 is an average church. There's a high suicide rate here in Japan. Issues of loneliness or isolation, um, and which is also a huge indicator of a bigger and deeper need. And we're coming here to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before I came to be a Christian, I mean, I was in cult. Um, I had a fear, anxiety. In Japan, some people think it is not a good thing to 
rely on something, believe in something, but I want to say uh, it's not true. I think we need to rely on something, believe in something, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, I have peace in my heart, in my mind, and I have hope to the future. So that is the change, big change to me. I want to help tell the true gospel, and also I want to be good friend and I hope to connect them to churches. I was sitting in choir seat and I could look out. It was really exciting to the all seats were filled up. I was so encouraged by big praise with a lot of people. Tonight, maybe you have come wanting to know if there is a God. Maybe you have a question, does he know that I exist? Does he care about me? There is a God, the one true God, and he loves you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you're not sure that your soul is secure in the hands of God, you can be sure right now. And what I'm asking you to do is just get up out of your seat, make your way to one of these aisles, and come stand right here. You come. We're going to wait. But this is the most important decision of your life. By coming tonight, you're saying to God, I want to be forgiven. This is between you and Almighty God. Let's pray. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. When he helped us to pray, I prayed with him. I came forward to accept Jesus Christ. I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. From this day forward, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I reconfirmed that I was still a sinful person, but I made a decision and have a new life as a Christian. You are forgiven because you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Remember this, God loves you. No matter what happens, God loves you. The true gospel is uh, Jesus Christ died for us on the cross and he completed salvation once and for all. I feel hope to be able to 
evangelize people in Sapporo. We are just finishing here in Sapporo, Japan. This is the first time that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has had an opportunity to do any ministry here in Sapporo in the northern part of Japan. And we have seen many people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your prayers and we thank you for your support. We would not be able to come to countries like Japan or anywhere else in the world if it wasn't for you standing with us. Japan, the church here is very small, but God has done a great work. We've preached the gospel. And God has answered the prayers of many people as we've seen many lives that have been changed. Thank you and God bless you. Amen. He still saves. He still delivers. He still gives peace no matter where we're at. I don't, I'm just going to end this this morning. We're just going to close. And I'm going to close in a way that Billy Graham has done for years and years and years. Do you have peace? I answered the call to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that you can have peace. If you don't have that peace, I invite you to come as we sing. You can have peace today. Whatever it is that's troubling, maybe this is uh, maybe this is a day that someone's going to finally make that decision. I don't know what ch- kind of churches that you were raised in. I don't know what kind of family you were raised in. I don't know what kind of teachings you had or preachings. But unless you make Jesus Christ, you ask Him into your heart to be Lord of all, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, you will not have peace with God. It has to start right with that. Peace with God. Would you stand, please? Would you stand with me? We're going to sing just as I am. If you want to follow, it's page 402 in your hymn books. I know we don't use those much anymore. Maybe we should. Page 402 in our hymn books. Joyce, just go ahead and keep playing, and I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you that you came to give us peace. God, there are so many things in this life that we allow to rob us of our peace. And there are so many things that I know, Lord, I, I know just by looking at the faces in this congregation that there are people that are facing things that can rob them of their peace. And God, next week I believe that we're going to talk about having the peace of God in our life. That means having the peace in our entire life that we can tap into your peace, God. But Lord, it starts with having a relationship with you. It starts with asking you to come into our hearts and to forgive us of our sins and that we believe that you are the Son of God, Jesus. It starts with that. Lord, if there's someone, just one person here this morning, God, I pray that as we sing this song that they'll make their way to this altar, that we can pray with them. We can pray that they'll have Jesus in their heart. Maybe they need to make a clean start. Maybe they've turned their back from you and they've gone their own way, Lord. Just like this magnet, they have intentionally turned away from you. God, but you're drawing them this morning. You're drawing them to yourself. God, thank you. God, I pray that if there's anyone in here this morning that has any kind of need, that they'll make their way to the front so that we can pray. God, thank you. Thank you, God, that you don't want us just to come here and just go through motions. God, you've come to do the divine. You've come to do the mighty. You've you've come to do what only the King of Kings can do. Thank you, God. 
We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.